This is our last Sunday in, in our Christmas series, and we've had, we've had good time in the Word of God from the Gospel of Luke. What we've done these past few Sundays is we've studied Luke's account of the birth of Christ by focusing on the songs that are present in the story. There's, in fact, four songs in the story. Our first Sunday, we looked at Mary's song. The second Sunday, we looked at the song of Zechariah and Elizabeth. You remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth are an older couple without kids, and the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and says, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. That baby is going to be the last of the prophets. He'll prepare God's people for the Messiah. Uh, you'll name him John. Zechariah, in response to God's fulfilled promises, sings a beautiful song of praise. Last week, we sat with the shepherds as a great company of the heavenly hosts saying, glory to God in the highest on the night that Christ was born. And today, we're going to be sung to by a very old man named Simeon. A few weeks ago, I read a news story about these three women from China friends who flew to South Korea for plastic surgery. And everything went well. Procedures went as they were supposed to go. The problem happened when they returned to the airport in South Korea in order to fly home. You see, they had their tickets, their passports, all their travel documentation. But the problem was uh, their swollen faces looked nothing like their passport pictures. And so because of that, they weren't allowed to get on their plane. They, they had to meet with all kinds of officials at the airport. They, just having the papers wasn't evidence enough that they were who they said they were. They underwent such a dramatic change, they were barely recognizable anymore. And those poor women, it, young women, three friends, makes international news, and the picture is of their sad, puffy faces <laughs> wrapped in bandages. I felt so bad for them. But what a problem. They, they'd changed so much they were unrecognizable. And in our study of Luke's birth narrative, every key character has been utterly changed, transformed by their encounters with God. There's still a faint familiarity to who they were before. But when they receive the promise of God, and then that promise is fulfilled, that encounter changes these people in the story. Zechariah and Elizabeth were changed. Mary, even, is changed. The shepherds were changed. And today we're going to read the story of this man named Simeon, who himself received a promise from God, and that promise, once fulfilled, changed him, transformed him completely. Christmas is a season for change. Now, we think about Christmas as a season for traditions, and there's not a thing wrong with that. We love Christmas traditions, all the things that make Christmas familiar and warm and comfortable. All that is wonderful. But Christmas isn't just about dusting off the old. It's about stepping into what's new. And for some of us, it could be stepping into forgiveness, peace, new life. When we encounter Christ at Christmas, we find forgiveness we get to rest in his grace and we get to rejoice in his mercy. This is a time for you and I to be utterly transformed by an encounter with Jesus. Simeon is going to help us with that this morning. This man, Simeon, is going to teach us two life-changing truths about Jesus. He's the teacher today. He's not just the one who experiences the amazing encounter. He 
teaches what it means. And his intention is to bring about change by setting our eyes on Jesus. In our text today, I want to show you two life-changing truths about Jesus. And if we'll listen with ears and hearts, we might walk out of here different people today. I want you to follow along with me as I read in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Jesus has been born. It's actually several weeks later now. And our story picks up in verse 22. When the time of their purification, the there, that's Mary and Joseph, in fact, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons." Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon is our teacher and he wants us to understand what the meaning is of Christ's coming. He gives us two life-changing truths about Jesus. The first is this, if you're taking notes. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior for all people. It's a little wordy, I know. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior for all people. Verses 22 through 33 spell this out for us. So Luke opens the scene by putting the characters in place. He starts with Joseph and his little family in the temple in Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem is not where they're from. This is a city they've gone to intentionally for worship and sacrifice. And in verses 22 through 24, uh, Luke explains what exactly they're doing in Jerusalem. They've come to the temple uh, to do several things. First is for the purification of Mary and likely the purification of Joseph also. They're there also uh, in order to uh, dedicate their firstborn child to God as commanded in Scripture. They're there also likely to dedicate their child to the service of the Lord. And there's several things that were given in details here that stick out to me. One is, we're told that when they come to the temple to make their sacrifices, they bring with them two birds. Now, the, the instructions in God's word was, was that you're to bring a lamb with you. But there was a provision made if you couldn't afford a lamb. And that provision was two birds. So the fact that Mary and Joseph bring two birds to the temple for their sacrifice 
tells you and I something about their economic condition. They, they are an impoverished people. They are very poor people. It's interesting to me, Mary and Joseph, very poor. Another interesting detail that Luke gives us is that in going to the temple, in keeping with the law of the Lord, look, Jesus comes from a family that sought to honor God. Joseph and Mary are very devout in their faith and in their worship of Yahweh. Another interesting detail that sticks out to me is that Mary and Joseph are not in the temple by accident, and their encounter with Simeon is not just a coincidence. Simeon is in the temple by God's direct revelation. Mary and Joseph are in the temple because long ago God spoke in his word in Leviticus 12 or Exodus 13, and that once spoken word still living in Mary and Joseph's ears puts them in the temple in Jerusalem that day. This is not a coincidence. God has orchestrated this entire event. After introducing us to Joseph and Mary and the Christ child, Luke then introduces us to Simeon. In verses 25 to 26, he gives us some important details about Simeon. In verse 25, in fact, he just he machine guns off these four facts. He tells us that Simeon lived in Jerusalem. He tells us that he is righteous and devout. We meet other people in this story who are also righteous and devout. You'll remember that's how Zechariah and Elizabeth are described early in chapter 1. We're also told that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, and we're told that the Holy Spirit is upon him. God the Holy Spirit is in or upon this man in a way that is utterly unique. Now, what does it mean that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel? Well, that phrase, the consolation of Israel, it's a way of describing the restoration of Israel under God's reign. You'll remember that at this point in history, Israel is not a free nation. They are an occupied people. They live under the banner of the Roman Empire, and they're not happy about it. Israel desires to be their own nation, their own people with their own king once again. And so they want this nation to rise to prominence, to overthrow their oppressors, and to live in their own way. So the consolation of Israel means that God's going to restore Israel to its former glory. But Simeon's idea of the consolation of Israel has a unique distinction to it. Verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit told Simeon he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. Now, the Lord's Christ is is a phrase that we don't use very often. It's weird language to you and I. But here's what the Holy Spirit has essentially told Simeon. He's told Simeon that he would not die until he sees with his own eyes God's promised Messiah. That's the Lord's Christ, God's anointed one who would save God's people. So when Luke says Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's telling us that Simeon is waiting in the temple day after day to see the one, the Christ through whom all consolation will come. Simeon's not waiting for an event, he's waiting for a person. And Luke doesn't tell us how long Simeon waited. He doesn't even tell us how old Simeon is. We assume he's old, and there's hints in the story that would lead us to that conclusion. For example, upon seeing the Christ child, Simeon says, now dismiss your servant. He's he's ready to go to glory. It sounds as if he's lived a long, lovely life, and he's ready to be done. Uh, 
I think it's important to point out that Simeon is old. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were old. The story immediately after Simeon, if you want to keep reading, is about a prophetess named Anna, and she is also extremely old. I have to believe it's teaching us something here that sometimes our most productive years in spiritual service for God may come after our most productive years of earthly labor. I love that I'm a part of a church with senior adults who continue to set the pace for us in their growth in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ and who don't see retirement as a time to set it on cruise control, but instead live their lives as ferocious weapons for the glory of God against the lostness of mankind. We learn a lot from our saints who have walked with God for many, many years. Be encouraged as you read this story and see his senior saints as key players in each part of the story. So Simeon has waited a very long time for this day. And in Simeon, we see a picture of Israel in miniature. Simeon's weight is Israel's weight. And it has been a long and grueling wait on Israel's part for the Messiah to come. That weight goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. After Adam and Eve act against God in sin, part of God's word to them was that Eve's offspring would crush the head of the serpent. That's part of a promise that Israel waited to come to fruition. That promise next went on to Abraham, and Abraham was promised that through him all nations on earth would be blessed, not just little Israel, but all nations. That promise, generations later, is reiterated to King David in 2 Samuel 7. God told David that an everlasting king would come from his line, and Israel still waits for this to come to fruition. The anticipation of the Messiah is seen in the Psalms, chapter 2, chapter 22, chapter 110. And since the Psalms were ancient Israel's hymn book, then God's people were singing about the Messiah's coming. While they were singing, the prophets were speaking. Prior to the exile, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied of a new covenant. Isaiah told of the Messiah who would be born of a virgin. The prophet Micah said that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. During the exile, God's people were fortified by Ezekiel's vision of the shepherd prince and Daniel's stories of the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. After the exile, the prophet Zechariah spoke of the humble king coming on a donkey. And Malachi spoke of the coming of the messenger of the covenant. And then, 400 years of silence. No more prophecies. No more word from the Lord on this matter. History rolls on 400 years with nothing but promises and waiting. Until one day. A voice comes to a guy named Simeon. Simeon, this is happening in your lifetime. You will not die until you see the Messiah with your own eyes. And here's how it all went down. Look at verse 27 in your Bible. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, 
you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's hard for you and I in reading this story to feel the weight of millennia being expressed in this moment. Simeon sings for all of God's people who waited for the Messiah from all the way back to Adam and Eve. In this moment, he holds in his hands the one whom all of human history had looked forward to. And now for you and I, all of human history has looked back to. Simeon's song is just remarkable. The the words of his song are borrowed from various places in the book of Isaiah. I think it's important for you and I to know this because uh, when we read Isaiah, we're seeing how Simeon thought of the Messiah. And so in verses 29 and 30, Simeon praises God for his promise, and he's seen God's salvation. When he sees Jesus, he's seen salvation. Salvation is a person. And Simeon isn't the only one to see this salvation. Verse 31, he says, this has been prepared in the sight of all people. That's a line from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. Simeon uh, continues on. He says, this baby who is the consolation of Israel is also a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's almost a direct quote of Isaiah 42, 6. And then Simeon ends his song by saying, this baby is a light to the Gentiles and glory for Israel just like Isaiah 46.13 says. Simeon sees this baby and holds this baby. His weight is over. Israel's weight is over. Our weight is over. In this child, God's word is fulfilled. The light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Israel waited for the Savior who would come. And I think so many of us today are also waiting for that Savior, but we're waiting for a Savior who has already come. So many of us in our spiritual searching and longing, we have settled for such counterfeit saviors. We recognize a deficit in ourselves, a brokenness. We we desire meaning. We're a very spiritual people. But the reality is this, Spouses make for lousy gods, and kids make for expensive gods, and money is a fleeting god, and a reputation or honor, well, that's a fragile god. Religious duty and morality, those things may feel important. They make for good citizens. They make for lousy gods as well. I've got good news for you. The peace we desire, the life we long for, that thing that's missing inside of us is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who came. The one whom all humanity looked ahead to, the one that everyone longed for, he's the savior that's come for you. He is light and he is life. When Simeon sings this song of praise, He's singing on behalf of people like you and me. People who need the salvation, the consolation that this one would bring. 
This is good news for us that every other thing we've put our hope in, our faith in, our trust in, every other counterfeit God, we can see them laid bare for what they are in all their fraud and all their phoniness. And instead, you and I, we can set our eyes and our trust on the one that God has promised to bring salvation. And if you are already a Christian, Simeon's song may strike you in a different way. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then you've, you've experienced the one who is your Savior, the consolation of your soul. You, you've trusted in him for your salvation. It could be that you walk in here this morning struggling for any number of reasons. But what does it do for your endurance and for your hope to know that The God who secured your salvation, the God who has come on your behalf and rescued you from the penalty of your sin, that God has kept his word to Simeon, kept his word to Israel. Will he not also keep his word to you? Waiting is so hard for God's people. All it takes for for us to have a fractured faith at times is just to wait for the promise to be fulfilled, whatever that promise is. We're in the situation, we're in the circumstance, there's a promise that this will end. All we have to do is wait, like Simeon, and that waiting is hard. We don't have to wait on anything in our lives. But sometimes we have to wait on God. And in that waiting, he forms us and he shapes us and he sanctifies us and he satisfies us in his word. He satisfies us in his character. He strengthens our faith so that we don't come to the fulfillment of the promise broken and shattered but strong and whole in the mighty word of our God. There's hope and encouragement for all of us when we hear Simeon sing. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior of all people. How should we respond to that? Well, put yourself in Joseph and Mary's shoes. Imagine you walk into the temple this day. Your mind is on, i got these birds. i got this baby. We've got to go here. We've got to do this, do this. And then Simeon comes in. You don't know him. And he begins to sing this song over your baby. How would you respond? Luke tells us how they responded in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, if Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon sung... Maybe you and I should marvel a bit as well. Marvel that Christ has come for us. In him is all this love that we need. It tells us something so important about who he is and who we are. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior of all people. There's a second truth that Simeon tells in the story. You see, first he, he sings his song for everyone to hear And then he turns almost in an aside to Mary and speaks directly to her to tell her this second life-changing truth. Jesus is the victorious suffering servant. I know it's wordy. Jesus is the victorious suffering servant. Verses 34 and 35, very quickly. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This whole scene just took a dramatic turn, didn't it? 
When Zechariah sings, it's, it's praise, praise, praise. When Mary sings, it's praise and it's mighty. And, and, and there's some words of judgment in Mary's song as well. When the angels sing, it's glory and praise. Simeon, his initial song is praise and glory. But then when he stops to talk to Mary, he helps her understand, at least in part, how this glory is going to come about. There's hard news in the good news. Jesus is light and glory, but not for everyone universally, automatically. For many people, he will cause their fall. They will speak against him. Their true hearts will be revealed. And what they do to Jesus will be like a death to Mary. This type of language doesn't belong only to Simeon. We read something similar in the opening lines of the Gospel of John. When John describes the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh, he tells us in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You see, the coming of Jesus means both consolation and crisis. It is salvation and a sword. And what exactly is Simeon talking about? I'm not sure he fully understood. And I don't think that Mary fully understood in that moment either. But you understand because you know all about Easter. The Messiah will bring salvation through his own self-sacrifice. The consolation of Israel, the light that comes to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel comes through his death on the cross. That's the sword that will pierce his mother, Mary. Mary, who back in chapter 1 sang that all generations will call me blessed, she's going to watch her son die in order to win the salvation of all those generations to come. You see, we cannot separate Christmas and Easter. Jesus was born to die for the sins of God's people. Again, back to the Gospel of John, he helps us see this inseparable connection between Christmas and Easter. John tells us that just before Jesus was crucified, he had a conversation with a man named Pontius Pilate. He's the Rome-appointed governor over the region, and on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate is the judge that ultimately sentences Jesus to death. And in his examination of Jesus, Pilate asks him if he is a king. And Jesus replies in John chapter 18, verse 37, you say right that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Are you listening this morning? Do you hear his truth? At the cross, we see that truth enacted, put into place. The truth is that in him is life and forgiveness and peace. He didn't come merely to give us a set of rules to live by. He came for the explicit purpose of dying in our place for our sin. The one who knew no sin, the creator of all of this, he came to lay down his life in our place. What Simeon called a sword in Mary's soul, uh, 
It's what you and I would call a light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. The hard news to Mary is the good news to us. Jesus is the victorious suffering servant. He is born to die. He dies on a cross in our place. That's historical fact. That is theological reality. He dies for my sin, for your sin. And promises us that when we come to him in faith, we trust in the one who was born and died and rose again. He promises us that we'll be saved 100%, forgiven of all of our sin, given credit for his righteousness, and held forever in his hands for eternal life. That's the good news of the hard news to Mary. So Simeon has been a very poignant teacher to us today. What is it that he's shown us that would bring about such a life change? He's told us that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior for all people, and he is the victorious suffering servant. There's a way in which so many of us today might be a lot like Simeon and the prophets before him. You see, they longed for the coming of the Messiah, and Simeon saw that happen in his lifetime. And you and I, on this side of Christmas and on this side of Easter, we also are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. He came once, he's going to return again. God's people have always believed this and held to this truth. And so here you and I are with our eyes on the horizon, once again trusting in the promises of God, believing that one day We'll hear the trumpet sound and the sky split open and Christ returned for his bride. But that second coming is going to be so very different from his first. At the first, he came in weakness, but next, he will come in power. At the first, he came in poverty, but next, he will come in the wealth of nations. First, he came in humiliation. Next, he will come in the glory of all the cosmos. At the first, he came like a lamb, and the next time, he will come like a lion. Brothers and sisters, may we live in the power of the Lord's Christ who has come and is coming again. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we praise your name. We glorify you for who you are, a God who is a revelator, a speaker. You give your word to us. It's a word that was once spoken and is still speaking. You're the God who gives promises and you are the God who keeps every promise meticulously. There is no place where your word has failed. And so when you promised that salvation would come, you've delivered on that promise. And where you've promised us that if, if we trust in the one who came and died and rose again, we'd be saved. Lord, you deliver on that promise. And so we praise you for your love, praise you for your grace and mercy given to us. And we thank you for what Simeon has taught us today. Thank you for so great a salvation as this. Thank you for the word become flesh, the one who was born to die. May we hear your truth. May we see this Savior. May we trust him and God be forever changed through the difference you bring to us. Thank you for forgiveness and new life and light. Thank you for life eternal, everlasting with you. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.